What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Network. It is Wednesday, June 2nd. We got a lot to talk about here. It's the week of right before WWDC. I am joined by my co-host, Holden DePardo. Holden, how are we doing today? I'm excited. It's WWDC time. Blah, WWDC time. It's This is like the Super Bowl for me. It's great. <laughs> it's like Christmas for nerds. It really is, though. <laughs> yeah, I try to explain to my wife and she never understands. She's like, why, why do you get so excited? So I go so far where I take Monday off just to watch the live stream. She's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing all this stuff? I'm like, well, I mean, come on, it's WWDC. You you have to do it. She's like, no, I, I don't really get it. I'm like, okay, well, that's you, not me. So <laughs> yeah, definitely exciting about that. We have a busy agenda, scheduled topics. We have some news to talk through, and then we're going to get into our predictions. I say let's get into the news first, my friend. So first up, talking Apple news, we're talking with the iPad Pro and the limited amount of RAM that the iPad Pro, even the new ones, the M1 iPad Pros, are allotted for just computer, you know, normal computing tasks. So first spotted on Mac Rumors, the article came out from the Procreate community, the people that work with Procreate, saying that iPad OS is only allowed to use five gigs of RAM, even on the eight gig and the 16 gig model. And that really got me thinking, like, that's kind of weird that there is this, you know, this upper bound threshold on the amount of RAM that you have, even since the iPad has had six gigs of RAM, I think for at least two years, right? So the 2018 model, the 20, uh, and the 2020 model had both six gigs of RAM at the very minimum, though they never advertised it. I don't know. What are your thoughts here in terms of the limitations and and how Apple enforces that? It seems like it's a your SOL, but hopefully this is something that changes with WWDC coming up. Yeah, it does seem like a really odd thing. I, I don't. My first immediate thought was, oh well, they need to have some RAM for the OS to run that developers can't touch. That makes sense, but th- that's an excessive amount of RAM to kind of leave off the table for, for developers. And mm-hmm. it seems like this is pretty consistent with even what the older iPads do. So they're not really benefiting from this large amount of RAM. It's kind of like, what is that RAM even used for? Like, I just, it's, I don't know. I'm really confused by this. Yeah. So I, I think that it's a good question. You know, what is the system doing with the excess RAM when you have maybe a handful of applications that would actually be capable of using all that RAM, but maybe mm-hmm. from a, an experience standpoint that, the iPad Pro used to have, there used to be this, when you used to put apps in the dock or in, in switcher, and they would often have to respring or refresh in order to use them. I haven't experienced that in a while, and maybe this is part of it when you they move from six to, I'm sorry, from four to six, now to eight and 16 gigs of RAM, but it just seems like it's a pretty mediocre, you know, user experience from, you know, you're buying this iPad, uh, you know, I have one here that has 16 gigs of RAM, but the apps that I have are only allotted, you know, maximum five. Now it doesn't say that, you know, you can't have multiple apps using five, but still there's going to be some, some management function that, that says you're allotted five, but I'm going to take some away from you because you're now in the background task or you're in a background. Mm-hmm. It just seems silly the way that they do this. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. Absolutely. And that might, you know, uh, we talked about it last week. It's part of the experience with uh, the decreased in Thunderbolt speeds, you know, when you're trying to transfer data, between external devices to your iPad. That might be part of the reason, you know, we talked about there might be some optimization they need to do inside of iPadOS to really allow for this. That might be the case. I don't know, but it seems kind of a kick in the pants, right? Like you're like, Apple's like, I'm sorry. Like I I saw someone who was, you know, somewhat pessimistic about it saying, you know, maybe 
the iPad doesn't even need 8 or 16 gigs of RAM. This is just a marketing tactic by Apple to sell higher configurations of people. And there's really no way to utilize that mount. I'm like, wow, that person, they could be right. I mean, they certainly could be, but that's certainly pessimistic. It's a kind of it, like, Apple doesn't seem to do that kind of stuff. I don't see them like mismarketing their products to make you think it does something it doesn't really do. Yeah. And they, they will over embellish and say it's magical or something, but I don't, I've never seen them be like, this is a, you know, two terabyte hard drive, but we're only going to let you use half of it. Like I've never seen them do something like, like that before with the specs and the numbers. They also didn't really advertise the eight and 16 gigs that much. It's not like it's on their website or anything like that. Oh no, it is. It is. Yeah, no, it, it's a, oh. it's a, it's a line item on the configuration page on the, the tech. Data. Oh well, yeah. On the configuration page. Yeah. But it's not like when you're scrolling through like the features uh, and benefits of iPad pro, they're not going to tell you 16 gigs of RAM. It's like on the text spec sheet. They do is what you're saying. Yeah, on the tech spec sheet, for sure. So, I mean, maybe people don't even go that far. They're like, oh, it's an iPad. We're going to buy it. Mind-blowing performance. I'm just looking at the the 50. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. yeah. I'm mumbling to myself as I scroll through the pages. I, I think, yeah, you're right. It doesn't say anything about 16 gigs of RAM, 12, Thunderbolt, Magic Keyboard. It's available in white now, printing money. <laughs> even more reasons to go pro. No, there's nothing about that. Yeah. But you're, you're right. In the, text, in the text spec sheet, they, they have that. Yeah. Which they usually don't. I don't think for iPhones they put the RAM. No. It seems it seems weird. There. Actually, now I want to check that now. All right. Let's look at iPhone 12 capacity, display, the chip, camera. Yeah, nothing. Nothing about it. Yeah, nothing about RAM. So the, maybe the better question is, why do they actually advertise how much RAM it has in the iPad only? Yeah. Now, now I need to see this uh, tech specs page and see it. Actually, I don't see it on... Oh, no. Yeah, there it is. 8 gigabytes of RAM, 16 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. Maybe because there's a difference and there's no difference between the iPhone models. No, actually, I think there is a difference in the RAM and the iPhone models, isn't there? Doesn't the Pro Max have... or for There's a generation of iPhones, I think, that the Pro version had... Like an extra gig of RAM or something like that. I, I could be wrong, though. So I think the larger screen iPhones, when they had the Max and the the regular one, the Max had more RAM. And the pres- the assumption was they were using it to manage, you know, push the amount of pixels that were that were needed for that. But like mm-hmm. even in like the iPad Pro, the 11 inch, the 12.9 inch, there's more pixels in the 12.9 inch. There's more control that's needed from a display controller perspective. I, I mean, it would make sense why they have eight and yeah. 16, but then the theory would be that you should be able to get better performance out of the 11 inch than you would on the 12 inch or better RAM management. And mm-hmm. that you, you might get more RAM allotted to apps because you don't, you don't have that many pixels from an overhead perspective. Maybe they need some extra RAM too to power the mini LED display. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah, iPhone 12 Pro features upgraded 6 gigabytes of RAM, iPhone 12 and 12 mini states at 4 gigabytes. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. Well, we'll know in a week or so. Hopefully. Yep. Hopefully. On to other Apple rumors. So Samsung beginning production of the iPhone 13, 13? Pro display with featuring 120 hertz refresh rate, 100 hertz refresh rate. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like this is a 
what's like the the moniker where you're like it's only it's only taken this long like this seems like it's been going on for like six years people have been talking about where's the 120 hertz refresh rate on the <laughs> iphone why is it taking yeah. so long why are we waiting for apple to do this and whether it's like a whether it's apple saying indirectly that they want you know they haven't received the yields on the panels that they haven't i mean no one cares about that no at the end of the day you're a customer you're like where is my fast refresh rate display and most fanboys are like, oh, well, you know, you can't really even tell the difference between a 60 and 120 hertz refresh rate. <laughs> Whoever says that is like out of their mind because you can certainly tell the difference between that. Like you can, there's a level of like butteriness. I think <laughs> that's my, that's yeah. the, the word here, butteriness that you have in the display when you're using this and it does look better. Now, what is not quite clear is that there's like the input rate and then the display refresh rate. Those are like two different timings that are, that are needed, but I don't know. I think this is a welcome addition, and I wonder if it means that we could possibly see an Apple Pencil or something like that input device coming to the iPhone. Yeah, that's another one of those about time things, too. Apple Pencil and iPhone. Yeah. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. And yeah, I think it's funny. People are like, oh, you wouldn't know this difference 120 hertz display. I'm like, no, I've seen an iPad Pro. I definitely could tell the difference pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. It's so much so that when I saw that, I'm like, oh, no, I can't get this because then every other device that I have you're ruined. won't hold up. Yeah, you're yeah. ruined. It's like when the Retina display came out on the iPhone and suddenly like, oh, my Mac screen looks terrible. My TV looks terrible. Like my iPad looks terrible. Like because the Retina screen on an iPhone was just way beyond anything else that I had at the time. It's going to be that same thing for me. So I'm almost like afraid to get it. So. So I don't know. I think it's funny. There's no difference. There's totally a difference. Yeah. You know, the display in the iPhone 12 today is, I was looking at my phone here, that display is OLED, correct? It's an yeah. OLED display. Yeah. So I, you know, we're thinking about, you know, iOS 15 and like, what are the features that they're going to bring? And we'll talk about this more in just a few minutes here. Like, I, I wonder if they needed to go to mini LED on the iPad Pro and OLED from the iPhone in order to get lock screen complications, like to make sure there's no burn in or things like that. That's, I guess that's uh, wondering, but you, you definitely don't need 120 Hertz for that type of work. You'll, you need 120 Hertz for refresh, for games, for content and for interacting with the display. Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on there though, with the, the lock screen. I think that'd be, first of all, it's just a great addition to iPhone. That's basically how the Apple watch display works on the series five in series six. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's not just going up to 120 Hertz. I think it's that variability in controlling the Hertz. Cause even the promotion display on the iPad can adjust to like 24 Hertz. If the, if you're watching a movie that's 24 yeah. frames per second, like they'll account for it. So I think it's, it's more than just having a consistently high refresh rate. Also, that would be bad for battery life. It'd be horrible for battery life. And so not to deviate too far off the path, I was looking for games that take advantage of 120 hertz display i couldn't find any or couldn't find very many other than fortnite are you aware of any on the ipad broadly speaking are you aware of any games that that take advantage of a high refresh rate display not not many there are a handful but it's it's not there's not a lot of them and i hmm. just think mostly because it's really taxing like in order to in order for a game to take advantage of 120 hertz they need to be running at 120 frames per second And you're in some games talking about doubling or quadrupling its frame rate at that point, which is doubling or quadrupling the number of calculations per second, which is just for certain games, it's it's huge. Hmm. That's why on consoles, it's like the whole 4K or uh, 4K 120 frames per second. It's like, no, not a lot of games are going to hit both those targets. They'll probably choose 4K. Yeah. And go with whatever frame rate they can get with 4K. The display resolution on the iPad Pro 
that's not a 4K display, right? It's 263. No, I, 4K60 was just talking about console games more. But yeah, it's like two. Is it like 2K. 2K or something like that? Yeah. Actually, didn't they increase the resolution on the new one too? Or is it the same resolution as before? I can't remember now. Yeah, so it's still 264 pixels per inch, and it's 2032 by 2048 is the resolution. Yeah, that's, yeah, not, so that's not 4K. Nice yeah, it's 2K. Because mm-hmm. it's 4096 by 2048. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's too bad. Interesting. Well, let's move on to the next rumor here, which is mini LED shipments for MacBook Pro expected to begin in the third quarter. So the rumor is that Apple will be releasing new 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros in the third quarter, which third quarter, for those of you who are unaware, fiscal year fourth quarter, sorry, third quarter starts in July. And uh, with that MacBook Pro, we're expecting a design refresh or the expectations that there's a design refresh. There's the return of the HDMI port, which totally shocked about that, an SD card, (laughs) and the magnetic power cable, like what we've seen on the iMac and what's rumored to be coming on the Mac Mini. But I think what was interesting in this article is that two things. So one, there's like this contention between people who have purchased the iPad Pro and they're like the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, excuse me. And they're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. But the effects of blooming are like, I don't like them. And there's like people who don't like mini LED from a display technology. Then people who are like, okay, this is fine. I can totally use this. So I think it is interesting that Apple's not going with an OLED screen in this display, but also that these iPads that I think they're taking away, this is the article. Yeah. The the touch bar is going to be retired in terms of removing that functionality for maybe more physical buttons, keyboard buttons on the iPad. Now I know Holden, you are a fan maybe not fanboy, but you are a fan of the touch bar. What do you think about this article? How does it make you feel? I mean, you, you got to be a little bit pulled in different directions because there's two things. You like the HDMI port, you like the touch bar, but you know, you can't have both. Yeah. I mean, with the with mini LED, it's going to be great. No problems there. Like it's going to be great. HDMI, I'm a little, I think it's weird. I love connecting with USB-C. I want USB-C to be the only connector. And I just feel like it's never going to be the only connector as long as companies keep putting other ports on there. The whole point of USB-C is you don't need these other single purpose ports. You just have a bunch of multi-purpose ports. So I'm a little wary on that one. And I'm also just, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to call me a fanboy of the touch bar. I absolutely love the touch bar. <laughs> um, I'm big, big, big fan of it. And I like how I can customize it and make it so that the keys do exactly what I want them to do. I love all that stuff. It's really a bummer. A compromise I would settle for is little displays inside of function keys so that you can still decide what that key does, but it is still a button. Oh, wow. Okay. I would like that if they're going to get rid of the touch bar, but it sounds like they're just going to put it in function keys and I'm just not on board with that. Kind of like this, like little programmable buttons. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That would be cool. I think that'd be a good compromise. But yeah, like, I don't know. I think the touch bar offers a lot of utility. I use it all the time. And like, for example, taking notes, use the notes app. You'll have different buttons on the touch bar mm-hmm. for um, adding in a checklist or accessing emojis and that kind of stuff. And I do use that stuff. I use that stuff all the time. I use the touch bar not as often as you do. I think the, you know what I started doing last week for the first time in a very long time? I started using my MacBook Pro at my display and plugging in the display. Like I used to dock it and then close the lid, but I, I just, I stopped doing it for whatever reason. And now I started doing that again or started doing it again where I'm plugging in and I'm using the keyboard that's on my MacBook Pro and it offers a good experience. I started using the touch bar more, but I think it's like out of sight, out of mind. And whenever I do that or whenever I use a keyboard that doesn't have the touch bar, you're kind of losing out on it. 
So maybe there's some maybe in between where maybe Apple releases a keyboard that has a touch bar on it, like a separate keyboard that you could buy. I don't know. That would be not a bad idea. Or I do like the idea with the buttons that are programmable. There was a patent for programmable keyboard maybe a year ago or 18 months ago, but you know, they patent everything. They they don't necessarily release everything. Yeah. No, I like that idea too of like you can, it's a customizable option. I like that. Yeah, nothing's wrong It'll with it. It'll probably be like $300 or something like that more to get the touch bar, but yeah, I use it enough that I would do it. Hmm. That would be an interesting, like maybe not necessarily a, um, not necessarily like a keyboard replacement, but something that you use adjunct to that. There's this other tool, it's called uh, by Loop Deck. Uh, Loop Deck, I think it's called Loop Deck. Yes, it's, so they make these really cool interfaces that you plug into your computer. They're for photo editing, for video editing, and you can use them to, kind of precision or to finely tune whatever, you know, whether edit photos or video. And it's a really cool product. Never had the need for it, but it's it's kind of like that, right? It's very uh, bespoke way of interacting with your content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is super cool. But they are, I think, they're quite expensive. Uh, yeah, well, actually, 269 269 249 269 Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see what they do with this. Now, you mentioned that the mini LED, like people are going to be fine with it. I agree with you. I think mini LED is a display technology on your iPad. I'm a foot from my iPad. I don't necessarily have something or need to have something that's high fidelity, you know, while I'm watching Netflix or, uh, you know, <laughs> Disney Plus. But if I'm watching HDR content, there's not that kind of exaggeration where I see people going, oh, this is the worst display technology. I think maybe just people are sensitive to it in more ways than others. And it might be kind of over-exaggerated in terms of the effect and impact of it. It, it. I mean, I have two different iPads here. The one that I'm looking at right now is, it works fine. It looks no different than the other one. I think maybe if people are getting, you know, bum units, they're just defective units. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, people are going to complain about it. And it's an Apple product. Yeah, people are going to complain about this for sure. For sure, yeah. Anything else you want to add there, Holden? No, I'm I'm excited to see this. I was thinking it was going to happen at WWDC, but probably not if it's coming out in the third quarter. Well, so what they could do, I mean, technically, so next week is the June 7th. They could announce Mm -hmm. it next week. They could pre-orders in two weeks and then ship two weeks after that, and that would be July. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that could work. That could work. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. And But this is uh, me speculating. What if they didn't bring mini LED to the the 11 inch iPad because they're bringing mini LED to the 14 inch and the 16 inch iPad Pro or sorry, iPad Pro, MacBook Pro, and they wouldn't have, they'd be supply constrained if they did all four. That would make sense. Yeah, (laughs) that that would make sense. I think that would make sense. Yeah, because the Macs aren't like 11 inch iPad Pro is going to take up the most probably of those of those four products, the two iPad Pros, the two new MacBook Pros, the 11 inch iPad Pro would definitely be the biggest seller, I'd imagine, of all. Yeah. Because yeah, the that, price point that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly the price point. Yeah, and even if you even if you raise the price point a hundred dollars, like that doesn't complete or doesn't create enough tension to make people second guess buying it because of the the difference and the uh, the value of of that type of display in that small form factor. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, let's see here. Uh, if there's nothing else there, the next and final topic before we get into the WWDC picks. We are talking about AirPods Pro Due, number two, with fitness tracking coming 2022, and then the regular AirPods 3 to launch later this year. I don't know. You have AirPods Pro. I think I see them in your ears. Yep. 
Yeah. How's your battery life? Fantastic. Really good. Like you don't have to charge them very often. They still last like what they, how they did. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, I charge them all the time, but it's because I use them all, all the, time. the time. I wonder if the, if the kind of acceptable use battery life for these is about two years. And that's why that we see like a two year refresh cycle. If they're coming out in 2022, AirPods Pro originally came out at the end of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, having these come out in 2022, that's about a two year kind of cycle time for a new piece of hardware. And I wonder if that's based on the battery life and the battery longevity of those devices. So I guess people, they have these ideas that maybe the product should come out more often than that. I don't know. This I think that this is a very popular, a very successful product. And every you know, two years or 24 months is a pretty good refresh cycle for that. Because really, what, what could they do? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what could you introduce from a product perspective in this device that you'd be like, okay, and then update it again in a year? Like, is it really necessary? Like the iPad Pro, right? Do you really need to update it once a year or is every 18 months maybe a little bit more realistic? Yeah. And also in case of the iPad, um, AirPods as well, what are you going to add to them every year? Exactly. Like, I don't think there's, there's just not a lot of features I think you could add. Even like fitness tracking, I'm like, that's a stretch. Like, I don't think I would ever utilize that. Yeah. I, I, so I, I think you're right. But I think for people who might, who are brand new to the product, that's like a good, like if you're coming from AirPods 2 or you're brand mm-hmm. new, it's, it's a good feature. Like, oh, let me get these. I'll wait for these ones or I'll upgrade to these ones. But yeah, I think it's, there's not a lot of compelling features that you can add, at least from my kind of nuanced perspective saying, oh, yeah, wow, I, I got to have these new AirPods every year because you you get burnt out on buying things. Like, you're like, I, I don't have time or I don't have the money or like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it seems like people are burnt out on that. So, yeah. Also, like with, you know, with Apple Watch, that's my fitness tracker. I, like, I guess, like, it, would there be some sort of like uh, redundancy in having AirPods Pro like tracking the same exact stuff? In terms of like your heart rate while working that kind of uh, while working out. So from what I understand, the very best place to measure your heart rate is inside your ears. I don't know why. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I, I've I've read that a couple different times. Uh, I, no, don't quote me. I'm not a doctor, so I don't I don't know that to be for sure. Or maybe <laughs> maybe it's it's one of the best places. Michael Caputo, uh, MD. Yeah, MD. <laughs> Web Caputo. <laughs> that's funny. Maybe that's where you're just maybe getting a different measurement or you're getting two sources of data. You can compare and contrast what the, you know, what the variability is between those two data. Or maybe you could use them if you didn't have a watch. So you can kind of offer that feature to people who don't have watches. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Right? Yeah. I don't know about the year, though. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, uh, best. Let's say now we're going to go to Google. Best place to measure heart rate. Ears. <laughs> it's just this, here's a YouTube comment for you. The heart. Duh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> duh. It says ears slightly harder to measure than the forehead because of yeah. So ears are a forehead and ear. It looks like it's the two best places, followed by the wrist and the arm, and then followed by the calf and the ankle. The forehead is the best place to measure your heart rate. I never ever would have guessed that. Yeah. Anyway, this is on. Hold on. Is this some kind of like weird like fake news website? <laughs> Valencell Dr. Oz yeah Dr. Oz so there's a couple different places that where they say this in-ear pulse rate management I think there's even a pair of uh, Jabra's that do something very similar to that yeah there is yeah yeah so and knowing is half the battle Mm -hmm. so that got through our news segments is there anything else you want to add in terms of news 
No, let's do WWE. Blah. I can't say WWDC this episode. I don't know why. Let's get into that that show. Let's let, let's <laughs> let's talk Dub Dub. The I think the the format or the the conversation that Holden and I had when discussing this was let's think of what our individual pain points are, and from there let's think about what we'd like to see Apple change, and then maybe talk about predictions or maybe wish list in terms of what we'd like to see at WWDC. So we have it broken down by operating system. So we have iPad, iPadOS, iOS, macOS, tvOS, watchOS. And then we talk about like kind of general or broad changes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So we're going to start with iPadOS. And for me, the number one that I had was expanded support for external displays. Now, as someone who uses their iPad very often, you know, I use it for 60, 70% of my computing tasks, there is a limited set of functionality for iPads and iPad with external displays as it relates. So one, if you plug in your display to, uh, you know, an ex- sorry, you plug in your iPad to an external display, you get four three letterboxing, which is completely annoying. So you never get the full, you're ne- never able to use the full breadth of your display. Uh, like I have a 4K display or a 5K display. That's the first part. I love to see them change that. And then the ability for a clamshell mode. So we take it for granted, <laughs> but it's really silly that if I take my iPad and plug it into my monitor and I close the lid, the display stays on. It's really ridiculous. It's because there's no clamshell mode. So there's no kind of, of closing the iPad, closing the display on the iPad and only projecting that display uh, or only projecting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. So those, that's my, my first expanded support uh, for external display. That's how I group those together. I didn't realize the display stays on even when you're plugging in. That's really strange. It's really, really strange. So here's the thing. So as soon as you close, I mean, so if I plug in the external display, because it's mirror, right? Mm-hmm. If I close this, uh, the external display still stays on, and this display still stays on. At least that's that's how it worked up until maybe you know, a month ago, unless it's changed. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the Mac can do that, and the iPads, if you're going to have external display support, should be able to do that too. I know that's just very bizarre to me. Exactly. Yeah. So mine is, uh, this actually is a pretty common complaint with iPad OS right now. It's just, there's no app library or widgets, kind of like the home screen advantages of iOS 14, it really does irk me that it's not present on iPad OS because mm-hmm. I like having my apps organized the way I do my iPhone. It's how I, it's so obviously better that yeah. it makes my iPad kind of feel outdated in a way because it doesn't have that functionality. It really bothers me. Widgets, I think there's some pretty understandable reasons why you wouldn't see widgets on iPad, like mm-hmm. sizing them differently because the grid's a little bit different on iPad. Like, I get all that, but I feel like there's kind of no excuse for app library. Yeah. That should be there. Okay, so that's on my list as well. If you think about it, like even the the grid of icons, I believe that the grid of icons is the same size across and down on the iPad as it is on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seems, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. so there's, there's more, more pixels in between those icons on the iPad and you can increase or decrease the density and increase the, the pixels for the icons. But it, it seems strange. Like, like you're saying there's, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. in those kind of contexts. It makes it seem like it's just a big iPhone. It rings true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I had that on there as well. The way that I talked about was a better way to organize, locate and discover apps. Now, I like the app library, but the the problem that I have is one that is the organization, like how Apple tends to organize them by like category that they have that they're in the app store. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but to me it seems like that these are organized based on the category that is defined by the developer. Like it's like there's like creativity, there's like social. You know that's how they seem to be organized. I wish it'd be or it would be great if I could define the categories or the boxes that they're in 
myself. That's what I would like to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about the gesture on the iPhone of swiping all the way to the end? You're like this, you're like, okay, let me, let me find my app library. And then, you know, cause it's, it's not your first home screen. I don't actually, I don't have no, how many, how many home screens that you have. I only have two, but still it's like swipe, swipe. There you are. Oh, wow. Other way. Yeah. Just the one. Well, yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, ah, there we go. So there, okay. and then, wow, yeah, just the one. I like to keep it really clean. Okay. Keep it clean. So I'm not as clean yep. as that, <laughs> but yeah. Would you like it better if it was like a gesture from the bottom or from the side the other side? Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, I don't really see the point in having that today view anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I think moving it to either side would be, would be nice. Cool. Or, or home button. So like, I think if you have a bunch, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if you have a bunch of screens, you swipe up again and you're on a different, like a, when like your second screen or something like that, it'll jump to the first screen again, right? Uh, say that again. So I feel like if I have two screens of apps, right? I'm on the first screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I if I have two screens of apps, mm-hmm. I'm on the fir- the second screen, and I swipe up, it just brings me right back to. Oh, I never knew that. The the main screen again. Why not have a double like swipe up, like like swipe up twice, and you access your app library. Hmm. And there's this even like pill button that you see at the bottom, where if you just swipe mm-hmm. across, it'll. Everybody oh, else interesting. Yeah. No, I didn't. It's because you don't have two screens. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I just have the one. It's so yeah. convenient. It's great. Yeah, I know. So anything else that you want to add there, Holden? Yes. For iPad, I would like an improvement to split screen. And this actually could relate to the app library potentially. But I find that sometimes I want to do split screen in an app that's not in my dock. And so I have to, I'd like there to be a way from the home screen to, to have that go into a split screen. Yeah. It's just, I think something a little bit cleaner there needs to happen because like sometimes I will want to reference something on Reddit while I write on a note, but my notes is in my doc, but not Reddit. So I have to like open up Reddit and then go back into notes again so that Reddit is on the the doc in like the, in like the suggested app section and then I can drag it up. Yeah. Like it basically has to be in the doc in order to go to split screen unless I'm missing something, but that's been very annoying for me no you're 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 totally right so in order for you to use an app in split screen that app has to be available either in the dock or in the recently opened apps on the right hand side and you're right it's kind of clunky the way that you have to do like these finger gymnastics to get the app to open if it's not open already Mm -hmm. i would agree i concur so i I have another ipad one can i go or do you still talk about yours okay so we talked about expanded uh, expanded support you talked about the app library. You talked about mm-hmm. the widgets. And then the last one that I have is just more robust ways of handling data or content on external drives or external media. Like there's no progress bar when you're copying files from one side to the other. There's no way of using like a, a format, a hard drive. There's, you know, we talked about the limitation with Thunderbolt when you're transferring files. There's that limitation in terms of read write speed. So just more robust support for external media, external drives, and how that would kind of manifest it right on the iPad would be great. I have a prediction related to that when we get to predictions. Okay. That's all I had for iPad OS. Since I went first with iPad, why don't you go first with iOS? I have a really small nitpicky thing hmm. that I doubt will ever get changed. I hope it does, but it might not matter to anyone else. But okay, so the home app. Mm-hmm. You can set favorites for the home app. Yeah. 
but the, it's the favorites are the same for everyone in the house. That was a good point. Yeah. I don't need to see other people's bedroom lights. I just need to see my own bedroom lights, my office, and then like the common areas. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like there's no point in favorites because you kind of want access to the lights you use most frequently, which yes. are basically all the lights in the house. <laughs> so it just doesn't, I don't, I don't think it works. I don't think that that favorite system works very well. And I would like to be able to set like, this is my personal favorites and someone else in the house can have their own personal favorites. What I think changed recently is that anytime that I set a background to like a room that it used to appear to everyone else that was in the house, but that changed that. They changed that within maybe uh, the past six months. Cause like I, each, each room in my house, I have like some picture that I find on Pinterest. Like I'm like, Oh, it's, it's design inspiration. Like that's how I want my room to look. And Any, <laughs> anyways, no judgment. Like here, like I have like, this is like a bedroom or you can't, oh, that, that's just a plain room. Oh, that's a plain room too. I'm, I'm not doing very good here. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is totally did change like a driveway. Like I have some like crazy driveway anyways, but now where my wife used to see those pictures, she no longer does. So I, I hopefully that's a good point because I never thought about that because it's my house and I maintain it. Of course, I want to see all the accessories that I name, but maybe she doesn't. That's a really good point. Mm. Okay. So I will go with an iOS one and it's along those same lines. It's, I guess it's iOS and iPad OS. It's about control center. So in control center, if you set a, you want to see that your home accessories as your favorites where it kind of dynamically changes, it's just very clunky. And I don't, I guess. I want that to be removed and I want an actionable home widget that I could set on the, you know, somewhere on the home screen or one of the home mm-hmm. screens where I can change it. And I want the ability to, or I don't want them shown in the control center at all. Not just I'm going to turn it off, but I don't want them shown there at all. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. On the home screen, it'd be convenient to have some, some buttons there for sure. Yeah. It just seems so weird. Like, I mean, I know why they're not there, but it seems just overlooked where you see that there's. Like that's like the most important kind of actionable widget I could think of other than Mm -hmm. like replying to a notification. Like I want to quickly turn down my AC or whatever the case is. Uh, is Apple, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On that note though, of of home kind of something I just kind of realized right now too, is I don't like scenes. I'd rather, I mean, I don't like the scenes are fine. (laughs) I would rather have access to a grouping functionality where like, for example, there's this light in my living room, right? And it takes Mm -hmm. two bulbs, which means there's two separate hue lights that are controlled separately. Mm -hmm. And I would like to just group them together and say, this is one light. And the home app doesn't do that outside of, at least that I'm aware of, it doesn't do that outside of scenes. And I, I don't think scenes necessarily works for that goal well enough. I can't say, hey, I can't say, hey, Shlomo, set that scene to 50%. Yeah. You know, for example, I can't say that. I have to just say, turn this scene on or off. And those are the only things I can do. I hope you're about to prove me wrong here because that'd be amazing. I want to, I want to learn here. So you can group two accessories together. And if you go into the, if you go into the first individual accessory and at the very bottom, it should be something like group accessories, group similar accessories, I think it's called. Group with other accessories. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yep. Group with other accessories. Sorry. And then what, like, like I have two, um, two lanterns outside my house that I grouped together. That's how I know that. But the only reason, cause I did that. Michael, I love you so much. Right now. <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. Oh, I'm oh so my happy. God. It's so funny. Well, I'm, so I, I'm glad <laughs> that I could certainly surprise and delight you in this episode where you're like, you love me <laughs> and that we don't require the expertise and the knowledge of Craig Federici and team 
And it's just, it, we solved it. There you go. Episode done. Yeah. I'm done. There you go. That just makes everything so much easier. I'm going to add this to my favorites now. I'm going to get rid of that stupid scene. Yeah. I'm so happy. So, so I have, so, so happy. I have more HomeKit stuff grouped together kind of in general broad ch- or in, in broad changes. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. I do have one thing specific to the iPhone. So it's about the lock screen. They call these the shortcuts. So the app complications that are on the left-hand side and the right-hand side. So I, I really like these mm-hmm. to be user configurable. Like I don't want a flashlight and a and the camera, though that's great. You can get to the camera by swiping right. I don't need to have a button for this. I will, let me sh- you know choose something else. Whether it's, it can, I mean, it could be anything. Just let me configure it myself. And I'd like to see complications, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, on the home screen as well, where that would be glanceable information that I could look from a distance that they're there and there's something for me to take action on. Mm-hmm. Anything else you have related to iOS? Yeah. And this is kind of related to everything, actually. I could have put this in my general section, but some two things I would like iMessage to do. One, okay. I would like the ability to either archive messages or... Mm to have some sort of grouping and put things into folders. Like for example, for example, like, all right, there are, you'll get those like status update things from like codes mm-hmm. for, for security to some verification kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I would like to just have that saved somewhere else that's not in my main thread. Mm. Of all my main threads. And just kind of keep that separate. I would love that. It drives me nuts because I, I just generally delete them. I don't want to see them there. I just want to see my friends and my family and my list of conversations. And this brings me to my next thing I want to change. They're kind of related in my eyes. Better syncing of deleted messages. Basically just syncing deleted messages at at all. I feel like if I delete something on my iPhone, Mm. I have to delete it on my Apple Watch, I have to delete it on my iPad, I have to delete it on my Mac. And it's a it's it's a headache. It's it's it should be way simpler than that. Why is it that a message will sync when it's read and when it's delivered, but not if it's deleted? That doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. Okay. So I always delete messages. I don't pay attention to whether they actually get deleted on other devices. Now, I do have something for you regarding the other messages that you talked about, though it's not exactly what you're looking for. I know there's like the unknown senders. There, yeah, okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I, so I recently found that one because I was getting spam text messages from people. I'm like, I'm like see you later, dude. I don't want to look at this. <laughs> don't want to look at this. Okay, so I don't have access to that again, though. I don't see that on iPhone. So on your iPhone, what you do is you go into iMessage. Sorry, you go to settings, mm-hmm. iMessage, and then filter senders. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And then it creates like a tiered structure of, or um, yeah, a tiered structure for all messages, known senders, and then unknown senders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yes, yeah, so I know about that. But also like I'd like to be able to kind of create my own and say like, hey, uh, like for example, in my contacts, I kind of have my contacts set up in groups. So I'll have like, I'll have like a friends, a family, a work, you know, school. Like I'll kind of break it down yeah. like that. And I'd like to have that available in messages where I can just like look at just work-related messages and then kind of not worry about work-related stuff when I'm not at work. Yeah. Kind of segmenting those things out. It's kind of like when you signed on to AIM, like back in the, uh, do, you, do you know what AIM is? AOL Instant Messenger? Yeah, I know what AIM is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're much younger than I am. Like when you signed on to AIM, it's like, okay, add people and then add them to these groups. It's like, oh, okay, that would be yeah. kind of an interesting paradigm or a way of looking at these because you have them all kind of intermixed together. That's interesting. It also would mean too, you can pin important people for work and have them pinned to the top and then have family members. Like nine's not enough. Nine's not enough to pin, but I get why there's a limit on it because otherwise you just have a bunch of bubbles yeah. of people at the top of your screen and no list. But it would kind of be nice for that too. You could pin people in relation to a certain group. 
Yeah. Like, so what if you had the ability to set system-wide, like, what do they call them? Favorites. Yeah. Like, you know, when you go, when you open the phone app, you have favorites that are being the first tab. Well, what if you could, when you mark that person as a favorite, they're not just a favorite inside of phone calls, but they're a favorite when you go into iMessage, right? Like, that's kind of mm-hmm. uh, interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to macOS, if that's okay. Yep. Now, macOS, I kind I thought I was going to struggle with finding things that I didn't like about macOS or things that I would think, like to see improved. And I came up with like six right away. So I'll go oh, with wow. the, yeah, I'll go with the un, maybe the unpopular, but the kind of strange, my strange use cases. So I'd like to see eGPU supported on Apple Silicon. They're not supported at all. Only because it feels like you are compelled or you would be compelled every time there's a new M processor that you have to get this new processor to take advantage of these updates. There's no way to add components to your setup and to then take advantage of kind of increased speeds. Today, you know, I only have my M1 MacBook Pro, but if I had my eGPU like I did back in the days, I could always just plug that in and get this kind of supercharged processing on whatever I was doing at the time. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. The next one would be expanded sidecar use cases. So today, you know, if you connect your iPad to your Mac via Thunderbolt cable, it doesn't recognize it as a Thunderbolt device. It recognizes it as a USB-C device with a 10 gig mm-hmm. uh, max transfer rate. I think that there might be some use cases where if you're using, you know, get better latency with maybe like using it as a tablet, as a Wacom tablet, you know, something that's not using Wi-Fi or using USB-C as the um, the medium to connect to your device, you might get some better use cases. Maybe I can get, you know, higher fidelity screen resolution if I use Thunderbolt, which obviously it's because it's faster transfer rate. Mm-hmm. Along those same lines, when you, when you connect, like I said, when you connect it to your MacBook Pro to your iPad, I like this, like the ability to do like target disk mode. Like I could take a file from my iPad and transfer it over, over Thunderbolt to my device. I, I can't do that today. And I would really love to do some type of clustered computing where I could use both devices to render a file in compressor or Final Cut and just get the benefit of that. That would be great. Yeah. I have two more. Sorry. No, you don't go for it. You're good. Shortcuts on the Mac. Yes. I'd like to see shortcuts to the Mac come. I'm a pretty big shortcut fan, but I think it's, you know, the automation or the ways to automate things like I use, uh, I use Hazel and I use Keyboard Maestro, but I think there's maybe some some expansion there where you could plug in third parties to that. And there's no third party support for widgets in Control Center. So like you can't put like, I can't take Carrot Weather and put it into Control Center. I can't take OmniFocus, which I'd like to. Yeah, like I have Fantastical. Yeah. I'd like to be able to, like Fantastical is really good about you know, integrating to that kind of stuff. And I don't want the regular default calendar app showing up there because when I click on it, I'd like it to be yeah. Fantastical that pops up, not my calendar app that I don't like to use. Yep, which we're going to get into that. I think in, I have some more in the general kind of sense, but go ahead with your Mac. Uh, it's, it's just one, and it is, I would like more robust split screen support. Right now, it's just two apps side by side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'd like to throw in a third app on there, mm-hmm. and I'd like some more kind of customizations to make that happen. So like in there's a few ways you could do it where it's like, it locks them into corners and there's like yeah. kind of two on top of each other than one taking the other half. Like, I think things like that would be fine, but I just, there's, I would like to use more than one app at a time. There's a lot of times that I'll use several apps at the same time. And I would like to just keep it all in split screen, not have my dock, not have my menu bar showing up and just see those apps. And I don't like maneuvering windows around and making them bigger and smaller and stuff. I don't like to manage that. I just want them to snap into place. I know there are, 
third-party apps you can get that will do this for you. Yep. Not quite full screen, but just kind of resizing the windows automatically for you. But I don't like them that much. I don't like the way they work, and I would like it to be built into the operating system. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you want to go to tvOS? I don't have any for tvOS. I I, I like tvOS as it is. So I love tvOS. No complaints about it. It's great. So the only one that the I have thing about tvOS is just make it cheaper. Like holy crap, one hundred fifty dollars. Just please, Apple, <laughs> bring that price down. That's it. That's my only complaint about tvOS. The one that I have for tvOS is so if you if you use Apple Fitness Plus you cannot do simultaneous workouts with like other people. So like sometimes my wife and I will do a workout. So she's like, Mike, it's world dance day. You need to do a workout with me. I'm like, I can't because you can't do workouts at the same time. She's like, well, why don't you just watch it with me? Do the same workout, but watch it with me. I'm like, that it doesn't work that way. Like, yeah, uh, like, oh, that's work. a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like a- You just start like an other workout, I guess, and just follow along, but you're not going to get any of the benefits. You don't get the benefits, no. So yeah. that's what I was thinking. I'm like, why don't we like- now, why can't I do a side-by-side workout with someone? Obviously, the Apple Watch or the your Apple Watches and the Apple TV has to be able to maintain that simultaneous connection to two devices, and then you have to display mm-hmm. two different uh, activity rings. So there's there's complexity there, but I don't care. <laughs> Figure it out. Like that, the processor could handle it. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. So let's. And if there's nothing on TBOS. Do you have anything for watchOS? I do have two for watchOS. Oh, good. Me too. One of them is 100% because of something you sent me a while ago, which was revamping Control Center on watchOS to include complications and that kind of stuff. Yep. I want that so bad because there's watch faces that I think are really great Mm -hmm. looking like the California watch face. But if you want to have the full dial and not the circular dial, yep. then you can't put any complications on there. You know, or you can't. You're very limited, at least. And I'd still like to access some of that stuff. There's certain things that I don't want on my watch face all the time, like the weather, that I would just like to kind of look, swipe up when I check it, and then go down again. I don't want to keep the weather on on there. So I'd like to kind of have that ability to, to customize that, that a little bit more. And I'd even compromise and say, bring back glances and kind of handle it that way, too. What are glances? When the Apple Watch first came out, when you swiped up from the bottom, or was it swipe up from the bottom? There was basically a view that would give you like a look at different apps and it would just show you like the weather or it would show you oh. some Apple news or mm-hmm. something like that. And they got rid of it in watchOS too. It was also really slow and didn't really do what it was supposed to do. But now that the Apple Watches are significantly faster, I don't think that'd be a problem. But I think complications is probably the, the most seamless way to do it. Yeah. The... Other thing that I have on that same token, that's why I was getting really excited because I thought you were going to name the same exact thing that I was talking about, but you were close. You were so close. It was adding a toggle for the always on display in the control center. Like it just drives me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the always on display is always on unless you go into sleep mode. I think it's called sleep mode. And theater mode. Yeah. Theater mode. Sorry. So like I put. sleep mode too though. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I put my son to sleep and. He's always like looking at my watch saying, daddy, what is, what time is it? Like, I'm like, oh, and then I have to swipe up, hit theater mode, hit turn on silent mode. Like I want to, I want to be able to do all those things at once and not hit three different buttons. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking yeah. for. That's a great call out. Yeah. I want that too. Yeah. So pain the butt. Hopefully uh, the, uh, come up with some of that. Cause what happens is you either have to turn off always on display, which I don't want to do, or I kind of go through those actions. And sometimes what even happens is after I'm done putting him to sleep, I come out and I like don't, my watch is not on for hours. And I wake up in the morning and it's still on theater mode. I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. 
pain, first world problems. My last one for Apple Watch is uh, better sleep tracking. Oh. I love the sleep functionality. I tell you about that. But there's one gripe I have with it. I don't expect them to do the whole, like, the sooner light sleep, the sooner deep sleep. I don't really expect them to have that because it's kind of shoddy how well that stuff works anyway. (laughs) Snake oil. So it's, yeah, it's kind of snake oil. But I don't expect that. But when it comes to, like, how much did I sleep? Well, if my alarm goes off... Sometimes I'll like set a timer and be like, "Why what? I want 30 more minutes of sleep. And I'll do that. I'll get 30 more minutes of sleep. But then the <laughs> sleep tracking says I still got up initially at 8 a.m. Oh, and you didn't. And I didn't. And so it's like it's cutting out like at most like 30 minutes in the morning. But that, that kind of adds up and it does interfere with your average sleep last week was, you know, X. Yeah, it does interfere with that. And if it can tell when I'm going to sleep, why can't it? track them when i wake up yeah that's a good point If you can tell me hey you're you're up before your alarm went off did you want to shut off your alarm it can tell it's not like it can't tell it can tell but it doesn't work well enough at when it matters you know what i just thought of when you said that about being shoddy is that remember how last year they they announced they were bringing vo2 max to the apple watch the ability to predict yeah. vo2 max and i was looking at my data and the data actually goes back two years which i was like wow wow so they've been actually collecting this data for, actually, I think it was 2017 or 2018. They're collecting this data and they just never turned it on. It was just, I thought that was interesting because the, they now it's mm-hmm. it's back inside your health app. That's a really good point. I totally forgot about sleep tracking because I used to wear it to go to sleep, but then I stopped doing it after uh, like charging my watch you know, once a day and I would forget to take it off and charge it. So it was just a pain in the butt for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be one thing too is week-long battery life, but that's like a too big of an ask. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing which I think it's not overlooked by from a consumer perspective is the ability to find air tags inside Find My. You can't do that today. You you say, Hey, find my air tags, and it's like, or find my keys. And it's like, sorry, you'll need to go to your iPhone for that. I'm like, No, I don't want to. Why? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that is weird. What's weird is that the kind of way I like to think about Apple Watch is you use your Mac for this is related, so this is a little bit of a tangent. You use your Mac for like an hour or so, you use your iPhone for minutes, you'll use your watch for seconds. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the use cases. You'll kind of do it to do one thing for a second, then you're done. I'd be much more likely to go to find my to find my keys than it would be to find a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'd I think about going to my iPhone if I'm going to find out where someone is, but not my watch. But I would go to my watch to find my keys, just like I have the ping for my phone. Yes. Sorry, I just talked over your whole thing. Sorry. No, no, no. That, that's it's completely right. So that's WatchOS. Do you want to talk about broad changes? Yeah, I only have two here, and they're not huge things. We've actually kind of talked about some of them already. Go ahead. One we haven't talked about, AirPod automatic syncing, it doesn't work well enough. Mm. And I'd like to turn it on and use it because it's really convenient, but it's not intelligent enough. If I have my iPad open because I'm reading something on there, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I want my AirPods to go to my iPad because I'm listening to music on my iPhone. And it should at least be able to recognize there's actually content being played on the iPhone, so let's use the iPhone. But it seems to measure based on your interaction with the iPad. If you're interacting with the iPad, then it's going to go there. I'm like, but I'm not watching something on my iPad. I am listening to something on my phone right now. And it's not great about that. So dumb. It doesn't, it is a problem. Yeah. So you talked about this a little bit. This was expanded support for default apps. So being able to set your default app, you know, you can do it on the Mac today for your browser and your email client. You could do it on your iPhone with Siri for your music client. I'd like to see the ability to set reminders, right? Calendar app and have that be a default either, you know, per device or across devices. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. 
especially as apps are universal. Yes. Now, and you'll have the same app. It's the same code base for Mac, iPad, iPhone. That would make a lot of sense. Yep. I'm someone who uses FaceTime a lot. Like I mm-hmm. FaceTime a lot. And I think the group FaceTime paradigm where there are these kind of floating tiles and they expand and they contract depending on who's talking and who's not. I think it's 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 cool, but it's not very useful. It would be, I, I think there's probably this opportunity to maybe rethink the way, like maybe they show it the way that you and I are talking right now, like side by side, or if you have a third person, mm-hmm. they're like three pain, just that would be different. A couple years ago, they talked about, it was shown on stage, like, and this feature is coming in, in the fall, FaceTime voicemail, where like, if you call someone, they don't answer, you can leave them a voicemail, whether it was a audio yes. voicemail or a video voicemail, and that would be super cool. And then the other thing where I think would be helpful, where you could invite someone to a FaceTime call, not via like adding them in the message, or sorry, in the uh, in the FaceTime dialog box, but like sending them a link to a call, like here, join this call. Mm-hmm. Like that would like be cool. Zoom, you could do a Zoom. You could exactly. Do Discord, yeah. Yeah, where maybe maybe I don't have your phone number or I'm going to send or I'm the person who's hosting the FaceTime call. You know, there I guess some of those things don't exist in FaceTime where there's not like a host and people are t- participating. I don't know. It seems like that would be a, a good thing to have. Do you, you want to go to the next one? No. That, oh, yeah, I have another one, but that's a really good call out. That's a you had a lot of really good call outs this episode. That that in particular is a very good one because it does kind of hold FaceTime back compared to other video services. And I can expectation of this is kind of how it should work, right? But why doesn't FaceTime do this? Yeah, it, it almost makes FaceTime seem antiquated in terms of feature set when you compare it against Zoom. I mean, of course, Zoom and like Teams, those are kind of like standalone well, Teams, not so much. Zoom is a standalone service where its entire bread and butter is conferencing calls. FaceTime, not so much, but you still want to be able to I guess, kind of grow the feature set of the app and have it being somewhat competitive to where people feel compelled to use it, not just because they have an iPhone, but because it's feature rich. And secure. And secure. Yeah. My last one here is just kind of touches on a lot of things that we've already talked about, but third-party controls and control center. Mm-hmm. I would like to be able to have apps add functionality to control center yes. so that I can do something really quickly from control center. And I would like, like to be across the board. So on Mac, I'd like to see that on iPhone and an iPad as well. And well, and Apple watch. Yeah, I agree that that's actually a, a really good, a really good kind of way of approaching the problem. Swipe down, there's control center. Maybe you don't, maybe you can kind of pin like a certain app or a certain function within an app in a control center. Like today, there's no, there's no third party apps in Control Center at all, right? No, nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, it's all first party, so that would be nice. For example, when you um do the 3D touch and you pull down on an app and it gives little like prompts to like yep, do right. this part of the app or something like that. I'd be able to be able to have a button. It's like send a tweet or something like that. Oh, that would be nice. Control Center, and just kind of hit that and then send a tweet immediately. Or what if Twitter was the the lock screen button? What if I mean that would be cool too? Yeah, right? changing the lock screen button would be big too. Because I don't take pictures on my phone very regularly. I've never used a situation where I'm like, oh, I need to take this photo right now. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. So I would like to get rid of of that and the flashlight. I'm fine going to control center for the flashlight and replace it with something else. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I have a couple more. So I know we talked about this last week, but for iMessage, I'd really like to see online offline status. Of course, it, right, it can be configurable Like if you want to opt into it, but I'd like to see that. And I'd like to have that integrated into <laughs> contacts, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you were on a phone call, right, you would want someone then to FaceTime you, right? Because it would show that your presence is busy. Like when I worked at the wireless carrier I was at, the team that I was on kind of focused on bringing advanced features in terms of like voice over Wi-Fi and presence, rich presence 
into into devices. And so like there's like a whole feature set within rich communication or RCS where they can integrate into your contacts where it shows, you know, are you available for a call? Do you want to do a one-way video chat, do a two-way video chat? Like all these kind of cool things that are I think value add in terms of the experience that you have with your phone. So that would be one of them. Mm-hmm. I do think that I, and, and I do like it, it it would be okay with me if it was integrating my presence into Game Center. I would be okay with that. I know, I, I know that you might, you might have some reservations <laughs> about it, but that's okay. I'd be invisible all the time. <laughs> invisible all the time. <laughs> it's like you're, it's like when you go, you sign into your work computer, like invisible, like do not disturb. Yep. <laughs> no, I mean, if I'm like in a work environment, I'm in Slack, I'll do online status there because there's a work kind of, uh, it's part of the work experience. Yeah. That, that I get. Like yeah. your boss will need to know if you are online or offline or something like that. Exactly. To bring it back to Apple Fitness, we don't we talked about working out with a friend, but like workout reminders. Like if you were like, oh, you haven't worked out yet. Uh, yes. Yeah. Also with workout reminders, like workout programs. Like So they have these kind of these categories, like, you know, hit workouts, strength workouts, whatever the case is. It'd be cool if like you could join a program like 30 days. Here's the program that you're going to do. Stay one. And it like gives you all the workouts from day one to day 30. And then it like adds it to your calendar. Like I think it's part of the thing that where people might. That's a really good one. That's awesome. That and I think where there's room for expansion is competition. So like today you can only do competitions one-on-one, but before Apple launched competitions, there was this app in the app store. I think it's, it's called competitions, if I'm not mistaken, where you could do group competitions in teams of four. And they did it one year at WWDC. It's really cool. You could do like teams against other individuals and you would collect points or earn points. Maybe that's probably the better way of thinking about it as a team to get and compete against other teams. So I, I would like group competition as a better way of competing with friends in fitness or activity. Yeah, that those are all fantastic call outs, especially the fitness and and creating like regiments. I'd even add on top of that too, like let's say I do fitness plus and I do a fitness plus strength and then I do like a mindful cool down afterwards. Yeah. It sends like this notification to everyone saying I did the strength, I did the the mindful fitness. Why not just like lump them together mm-hmm. and has send out one burst of just like so and so did these two workouts. Because sometimes you have a I think in the workouts app you can add another workout and kind of keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah. But not with Fitness Plus. Once you start and end the video, they kind of oh. two separate workouts. Yeah, because it's like the the trigger is the finishing of the video, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apple used to send out notifications. Like they did it in real time. Then they stopped doing it in real time because I think everyone was doing workouts. They did it like at the end of the day, like, oh, this person did this workout. Then they went back to real time. I, I agree with you. It can become a little bit like a lot of noise where, okay, I just got like eight workout notifications from people that just finished workouts in the past half hour. It's a little noisy. It is, yeah. But I also don't want to turn it off because I do like to let my friends know every once in a while, like, hey, like, good job, dude. Like, I do like doing it. I don't do it every time, but, yeah. you know, I, I like doing that. Yeah, I like it too. Okay, so the home app, we, t- we talked about uh, we talked about that. So bring the home app to tvOS. There's no home app on tvOS. I just think that's weird. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, that is right. Like, It is weird, yeah. What I think would be cool is that you can view your camera on tvOS or on t- in, in Apple TV, but you can't pin it to like the screen. Like it would be cool. I know there's apps that do this, but I'd, I'd like to see like the ability to kind of use my Apple TV as like a st- – I'm going to say status board, but that's not the right thing. Like as a way of viewing like my, like a dashboard for my house. 
like what are all the lights are on like that would be kind of cool so the the thing that i struggle with most with with home is that there's always these like little accessories that are not little but these accessories that go out of sync and the status of it inside of the home app is not reachable like you'll say accessories unreachable and you're like i'm looking mm-hmm. at the accessory it's odd what do you tell me it's unreachable like i know this like i can look at it and see the accessory <laughs> i could walk up to it i could you know it's oftentimes when the you know there's a maybe um the accessory gets in a bad state but it would be great if there was this like, contextual actionable information inside the home app saying okay if you're seeing this message this is what you can do to resolve that you know what i mean like it doesn't give you that there's no troubleshooting whatsoever and yeah i do wish that there was less obfuscation of the error codes like I've been trying to set up a HomeKit scene inside of the Home app, inside of Home Plus Plus for probably about four weeks. And it just, it doesn't work right. So I don't know if it's me or if it's just a limitation of the levers inside of uh, HomeKit, but I would, I would love the ability to say, okay, how do I, you know, what's the, if this, then that, and how do I follow it and see where it's breaking down? Cause maybe it's just me and I'm doing it wrong. So that would be, I'd like to see that. Yeah, the, the disconnecting and like having accessories inaccessible is also really frustrating on Apple Watch, where there is nothing wrong. It just takes a long time for the Apple Watch to connect to an accessory, yes. turn them on and off. It's one of the slowest things the Apple Watch does, and it's the perfect utility for the Apple Watch is just to turn lights on and off in your house. But I never go to my Apple Watch for it because it's just not fast. It's just not fast. Yeah, you're right. So that's it for home for Find My. Do you have AirTag? Do you have an AirTag yet? No, I don't have any AirTags yet. Okay. So I have an AirTag. I have a couple of them for my keys because I lose my keys all the time. I even have one. You, you'll like this. I have one of my security key because I, I'm always looking for my security key before the call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to solve this with an AirTag. Anyways, it would be nice if I could share the, an AirTag with my family member, which is a limitation today. I can't. My wife cannot see my AirTags. No one can see my AirTags. But if I lost my keys and, and I want my wife to help find them, here, can you help me out? And I think... I would love to see, so sign in with, sign in with Apple. I, I use this as my identity management as much as possible. But sometimes, because the service is new, if I already had an account with that, there's no way to combine accounts today. So they, they talked about this as a feature a couple years ago. Like it was like the sign in with Apple version, you know, 2.0, but it's never come to fruition. So I like the ability to combine accounts. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be a really, really cool accessibility feature to bring live transcription or captioning to FaceTime. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, like for people who have some type of, uh, you know, whether it's a reading, uh, it wouldn't be a reading disability, but like an, if, if there's a disability there that you could then take it with uh, captioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last and final thing, Holden, I promise. <laughs> the passwords app, uh, sorry, the password functionality inside of settings, it would be nice if you could use that for two-factor authentication. So today... I have to have my passwords in, I really keep them in a couple different apps because it's just the way that it's been. You know, I keep them, one in my password manager, then I keep some inside of iOS or in Keychain, I think that's what it is. But the Keychain version does not support multi-factor authentication. So if I get a two-factor code from an app, like uh, what's it called, Authy, I can't keep that code or the code generation inside of inside of the security. So that would be nice. And it would be re- really cool if you could use a AirTag as a security token. Oh, yeah. Like tap it on your phone and then you just create, you know, because it's something you have, something you know, you know, your password, uh, your yeah. credentials, and then something that you have. That would be interesting. That is very interesting, yeah. It's NFC, so of course it's going to work. Yeah. Okay. So you want to talk about predictions? Oh, yeah. So one that we kind of called out earlier, you're talking about files being problematic on iPad OS. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be two new apps talked about 
for iPad OS. Okay. One Xcode is going to be the first kind of pro app to come to to iPad. That'll be a separate download from the App Store. That's I think certainly going to happen. And I think uh, to make the, the iPad more of a genuine computer replacement finder for iPad will replace the Files app. Hmm. I agree with Xcode. Uh, I think I tweeted that a couple of days ago where the challenge with getting like core audio and like redesign the interface for like pro like logic or final cut just seems like a challenge that's way too much for them to handle this year. Like I, that's, yeah. that's what I would, uh, that's the impression that I have. So I agree with you having Xcode and talking about Xcode at the developer conference gets people excited. If it's on the iPad, it kind of like you're building this and kind of the building momentum in, in multiple ways. So I agree with that. I do like the idea of finder. We talked about that last week, but you, you also mentioned something last week, the menu bar, didn't you? Didn't you talk about the menu bar coming to? Or were you talking about Finder last week? No, I don't. I don't think it was Finder for sure. Yeah. Okay. And we've talked about Xcode as well for the past few weeks as well, but uh, Finder was what I remember talking about. Yeah, like bringing Finder to the iPad as a replacement for Files, or Files is just so clunky. Like the data detectors and the tokens, it just does. I mean, it works really well for what it is, but it's still kind of long in the tooth, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is also kind of related to something you had talked about earlier this episode about the home app having a widget. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's going to be improvements to widgets where they are actionable from the home screen. But like for basic things like playback controls, checking items off of a checklist or something like that. Yep. And I think that you know, the home app would be included in that too. Yeah. Like the, the way that's a really good call out. The way that I think about this, it's kind of like live tiles, like how the way like Microsoft had live tiles like 10 years ago on their Windows mm-hmm. phones. But yeah, I think that's that's a very good one. I think that they're going to le- lean into the customization aspect of what like iOS 14 brought in or iOS and iPadOS 14. Mm-hmm. And possibly we'll see like, dy- I don't call it dynamic, but like changes to your home screen or your app layout based on time, date, location. Like maybe last year in iOS 13, they brought a shortcut that's saying, you know, based on time of day, we'll change your wallpaper. Like it would be really interesting if they were to like, okay, when you're at home, you see these set of apps with this home screen. When you're at work, you see this home screen with these set of apps. And there's, it, it kind of like manages it for the the device will manage it for you based on Mm -hmm. where you are, what you're doing, or maybe, you know, time of day. That's a, yeah, that's interesting. Especially for like, so at work and they're going to have different apps they're using for work than they are for their home life. Yes. And if you're at work, you see some more, you see things more tailored to work. You're at home, you see things more tailored to home. I think that's, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I agree. This is kind of vague, but I think that iMessage is going to be one of the biggest new things in iOS 15. And there's going to be a big, a big change with, with iMessage in terms of functionality, adding new features. I think it's going to be one of their big, big, big tent poles this year because they now have iMessage working consistently across the board yeah. on iPhone, Mac, and iPad for the first time. Like Mac really being the one being held back yes. with iMessage features. And now it's pretty much all in line. And I think they're going to use that to make it more competitive with WhatsApp and those other messaging services. So I think you'll see a lot more parity in terms of features that are available across different messaging apps. And I and I message like rich presence inside of contacts, <laughs> like like stuff like that. As much as I don't want it, but yeah, I think stuff like that's going to happen. Yeah, 
One of the things that I think that they'll continue to lean hard into this year is going to be, well, I mean, privacy, obviously that makes sense. But what would be, what I could see Apple doing is giving you like a dashboard for privacy. So instead of kind of mm-hmm. looking at the, you know, privacy and then this is, you have this configuration for location, this one for picture access or photo access, excuse me, um, and audio access is them giving you a dashboard and that dashboard saying, okay, this app has had background access to your location for, you know, five days now. They give you a notification today, but it'd be nice if it was presented in a kind of a very well-kept, you know, a tailored kind of a, like a one-pager. That's how we think of it. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, yeah. do you want to change any of these things? Because like on occasion, Google will send me that message saying, okay, let's review your privacy considerations or your, your privacy uh, configurations, excuse me. And if you want to change anything. So that would be, I think, kind of neat. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Okay. So this is a kind of a crazy one. This is a total wild card. I like it. I think Apple Watch is going to be independent of iPhone with some caveats. It's not going to be the full Apple Watch experience. It's going to be a fitness-focused version where you can do your health tracking, you can do workouts, you can do that kind of stuff, but you won't be able to do, like, messages. You won't be able to do, like, calling. You won't have that kind of immediate connection. It's going to be a notification machine, essentially, like Hmm. it kind of is now. It's going to be a very much a health-focused device where you can do your sleep tracking. It can do noise detection, that kind of stuff. And it will be compatible with iPod Touch, iPad, and Mac. And you can pair it to those devices, but in a limited capacity. Hmm. Once you pair it to an iPhone, then it will expand out to a bigger degree. And I think that last year when we got the Mm -hmm. student or like the four kids, you can get it. Yeah, you can get an Apple Watch and it doesn't have to have a phone paired to it. It kind of it has to be cellular and all that stuff. Like, I think that's kind of a sign that it is possible they can do it. They know how to operate that on their end. But I mean, Apple Watch is two hundred dollars now. And I think the SE is probably going to drop down to that. Yeah, the Series uh, 3 is 200 bucks. Wow. And I think the SE will drop down to that price this year later on. And that's going to be a really, really good fitness tracker that now more people can experience. People who don't have iPhone can now get that. And then that might bring them into the ecosystem and say, hey, I really like using this Apple Watch as my fitness tracker. I would like to do more with my watch. I'd like to you know, um, have it available for calling and that kind of stuff or syncing my Apple Music stuff over to it. Like, I'd like to be able to do that kind of stuff on this too. Let me get an iPhone now. And then once you get an iPhone, you pair it to your iPhone, it unlocks and you have the rest of the features. So it won't be the full Apple Watch experience, but it will be a fitness tailored version of Apple Watch that you don't have to have an iPhone for. Now, do you think that is a developer conference feature? So I I like like exactly what you're talking about. That's uh, like their experimentation path of, we did it last year this way. Now it's kind of, we can roll it out kind of in a more nuanced fashion this coming year. Yeah. Do you think that's a WWC feature where they're talking about it on stage or do you think they're talking about it in the fall? I think they're talking about it on stage because it's a software feature. Okay. It'd cool. be part of watch OS eight and it would apply to any Apple watch that gets watch OS eight going forward. Interesting. I like that. I didn't even know that series three was 200 bucks. I was pretty surprised when you said that and it sure is. Yeah. It's a very, very good fitness tracker. I would say for a lot of people, it's probably the best fitness tracker. Those rings are addictive. Yeah. Yeah. Supports family setup. That's what they call it. And maybe actually, maybe it will be more robust than even I'm thinking because it has the app store on it. Mm -hmm. Not that it's the best viewing experience to go in the app store on an Apple Watch and browse around. Obviously, going on your phone is 
much better. But like in terms of like getting some third-party apps, you want to get Streaks. Streaks is a fantastic app. That would be interesting. Although uh, actually my hesitation with that now though, now that I'm about that is Streaks, you need the iPhone to set up. Yeah. And this is actually would be a reason why at WWC it might make sense because you might want to make your watch app watch only and add a little bit more to it in order to make that happen. Hmm. And that, that they would have to introduce new APIs and that kind of stuff for that. Yeah, because it is now a standal- it, the apps for Watch OS are now separate from the iPhone apps. Yeah. Huh. I like it. I like it. I don't have anything that uh, that detailed, but the, I do like that one. That's a good one. And I think that was my last prediction as I'm talking real slowly. Yeah, that was my last prediction. There's a lot of stuff that's on the line here. There's a lot of things that are happening next week, and I think we're both equally excited. Is there? Oh, yeah. Is there any one thing that has you the most excited? Like, oh, dude, I cannot wait to, for them to talk about this, or I really, really hope they talk about this. I mean, I'm probably most excited for iOS 15. Okay, for the phone. I feel like, for the phone, yeah, because it's the device that I, I don't know, I just, I get the most excited about my phone doing new things. I kind of have workflows on my Mac and on my iPad for the most part that I'm pretty comfortable with and don't really see a lot of change coming to that anytime soon. But my iPhone, I do look for, you know, cleaner ways of doing things. Absolutely. And I think watch OS too, just because I love my Apple watch so much. I, I think it's such an awesome device. So the one thing that neither one of us talked about was the, like the, the darling that we each have was you didn't talk about music and I didn't talk about games. Like, and there's nothing in our outline that says that, oh, you know, Apple, you know, how are they going to improve these two services? Not that we have to talk about that, but I just think that's interesting. We, we steer steer clear of that topic, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. I did think of like, what are the things that are, that Apple's going to, you know, help themselves services, you know, create stickiness, but games didn't come into that thought process at all. Yeah. Yeah. The music app I'm happy with. So I don't really have any, the thing with the music app is like, I, I'd be excited if they add new features to it, but there's not really anything I'm looking for. Well, like high fidelity music. Yeah, we have that, and it's disappointing. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like we didn't talk about like uh like any type of stream, not streaming, but like feature enhancements for AirPods to support this. I know that's kind of generally um, accepted as that's coming based on what Apple said a few weeks ago, but mm-hmm. they could talk about it. They could, yeah, they could. They sure could. Is there anything else holding that you want to talk about tonight? Can we just make WWDC happen? Just no. have them do it right now for us? Because I don't want to wait any longer. Well, chances are it's you know it's already been produced because it won't be live. This is true. Yeah. That video exists somewhere. It does. Unless they like finish editing it like literally minutes before <laughs> they, they post it, which would be hilarious. Yeah, I, I doubt that one. Yeah, no, I doubt that too. Yeah. Holden... Where can everyone find you at? I am on Twitter at Holden DePardo is my personal uh, Twitter account. And then I'm also on a video game podcast called Respawning Fire, which can be found at Respawning Fire. Awesome. Holden, thank you very much for joining me. Everyone, we will talk to you very soon. Thanks very much for joining. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.